0: everybody and welcome back friends to another episode of the Murphy and Smith Sports Desk. We have an exciting episode here for you today as we have some prominent people from Middlebury Field Hockey's head coach Kathleen DiLorenzo and Meg Fury will join us. DiLorenzo is the Bergen family head coach of the Middlebury Field Hockey team. It'll be her 20th year at Middlebury this year. She has an overall record of 308 and 62 with an absurd, absolutely absurd, 832 win percentage, four Division III national championships. They have won each of the last three, and they've only lost four games over the last three seasons. She's a three-time Division III coach of the year, including in 2019. They've won seven NESCAC titles, and Coach DiLorenzo has double-digit wins in every year of her 20-year tenure at Middlebury, quite a pedigree. Meg Fury, our guest with Coach Lorenzo, and she's a St. Paul's grad, form of 2017. She's a major contributor in each of the last three national championships. She's had eight goals and four assists in 39 games started for the Panthers with three game-winning goals in 2019. Pretty exciting stuff, Mr. Smith. What, what, do, you, what do you think about what we've got coming up here?
1: I, I love this, the D3 sport chatter that we're on. I, I think it's such a important part of the collegiate experience. We talked football last week. Now we're going into field hockey, which I know a little bit about, not much, but I know a lot about coaching and I, not, I know a lot about great players and we've got two of the best Meg scored all those goals. You mentioned the eight goals and the, the three game winning goals, all from the defensive position. So that's insane. And when I went through some of the stats here, the the three straight championship games they just won, they didn't give up a goal in in any of the games. Okay, and then I went back to the 2015 season, and they won that title game as with a shutout. So they in four <laughs> national championship games, they've given up zero goals. This it, is just this data is crazy. And I'm really excited to to get them on here. I think there's a lot to talk about and, and we'll see where the, the conversation goes. But there's another piece here we haven't talked about this program, which is their big time dedication to giving back service and other people. And, and it, it is a big part of what I think makes them so successful. Strip away all those titles. and And this program is special for what they do for others. But I actually think that the dedication to service plays into their team culture. And I think it leads directly to wins. And I think we'll find out more today.
0: And I'm, I'm excited as well. We're going to talk about a lot of culture. We're going to talk about service. I think those are great things to talk about and it'll, it's going to be a great interview. We got it coming up here just after this short break. Thanks for joining us here on uh, WSPS Murphy and Smith sports desk. We'll be back with Middlebury field Hockey's Kathleen D. De- Lorenzo and Meg Fury just after this short break. And welcome back. You're listening to WSPS's Murphy and Smith Sports Desk. We're sitting down right now with the head coach of Middlebury Field Hockey, Catherine DiLorenzo, and an SPS grad and a player on the Middlebury field hockey team, Meg Fury. Thank you guys for joining us here today. It's really a privilege.
2: Excited to be here.
0: Yeah,
3: very excited to be here.
0: So in our little introduction, and, and we've talked to you guys about this, but just to you know, fill the viewers in, we talked about all the accomplishments that the, the program has had, specifically in the last three seasons, three Division three National Championships. That's the top of the game. And I guess my first question for, for both of you guys is when looking from the outside in, what is the one thing that you first pops in your mind that you would point to as most important to that success of the team? And this is for both of you, because I'd like to hear the player perspective and the uh, coach's perspective as well.
3: Yeah, I think the, I'll let Meg jump in first with a full idea, but I'd say that, you know, hats off to you both to, for This concept of having both the player and the coach on at the same time, because putting our answers to many of your questions side by side, putting them together is likely going to tell a much better story than any coach could tell on his or her own and any player could tell on, on his or her own. So Meg, what do you, what do you think for the first answer to this question?
2: I really... I believe there are two parts to it. The first one is just the team culture. We are very close to each other. We're family. We trust each other. And we spend a lot of time together, and we love it. And we love playing together. We love the sport. Our passion lines up, and Coach does a great job of facilitating that and keeping us nice and close. So that allows us, that translates directly on the field. And you can tell if you've seen our games, but also just, the preparation that we put into our games we put a lot of work into each game individually and we focus on the next game we're not we're we're never satisfied we're always we finish a game and then we transition to the next game so if we have a game on saturday for example we get on the bus and we start thinking about sunday's game so that's really special to us we don't talk about winning we talk about what's next and what we need to change and what we learn from that game and how to move forward Yeah, Meg
3: talked, Meg spoke earlier about the consistency, and I told you how enjoyable it is for me to ever hear some of our players talk about what their experience is really like as a player. It is, it's vastly different than things from the coaching perspective. The objective for me is to teach well enough so that we are all on the same page and really having the same type of experience although our contributions have to come in in vastly different ways so my contribution is first be the plan be the decision maker so nobody else feels as though they need to uh, carry such a burden in those ways they can't consider themselves and their teammates the sponges the performers the competitors And they can rely on me to, uh, you know, seek out as much wisdom, as much, with as much forethought, we can make great plans and give them to the team so that we can all be on the same page and put our best performances out there. And that it can be exhilarating, fresh and new and different every single time we take the field. And, uh, you know, Meg spoke about the relationships on this team, not only are they close because I think that doesn't necessarily make us unique, but not because of our level of closeness, because of the, it's truly because of the reasons that bring us close, the shared values bring us closer together because we know that together we can withstand such incredible dissonance, whether it's on the field with incredibly powerful opponents, or it's off the field with differing viewpoints, or it's a combination of all those things, and even the dissonance that comes from overloaded with work. You know, how our academic lives merge with the experience of an elite athlete. It can't. My job really is to help facilitate the dreamer, who is the elite athlete who wants more than anything to be both, to be the elite academic. And I don't really like using the word elite, but you know, highly aspirational academic alongside being uh, fully confident, capable, and highly aspirational, and competitive, gritty college athlete. The more I can, the more I can seek out and troubleshoot, make great plans. As I tell them, go to the ends of the earth and back to figure out our next opponent, deliver the plan, engage with the team on how they feel about the plan. What was? It, how does it feel to them to to uh, put it all into uh, practice out on the field the day or two before the game? and then take their feedback on what it felt like. Do they feel like it's an awesome plan? Would they like to tweak something? Then we become partners again. We take the field together.
1: You talk a lot about sort of protecting the players and kind of being the shield, and I hear some of that relieving the pressure off the athletes. What's your game day prep like when you know you've got an opponent coming in you know you're going to get their best cuz they want to beat you cuz you're middlebury and you've got all the trophies what do you do to to get ready for that game while still having to go to one of the hardest most prestigious academic institutions on the planet like what's what's game day prep like for your team
3: it's consistent you know you mentioned a Nescat game we're not preparing any differently for a little east game And it's not that we don't acknowledge that one team might be quite a bit easier to succeed against than, you know, your top couple of Nets teams. But we would never give anybody any room to inch closer to finding success against us by not preparing. Plus, by not preparing well for someone who we think could be a little lesser. In any way, shame on the team coach too, who doesn't assume that another coaches can prepare just as hard as she will. So, you know, sometimes to people it may seem overkill, but our team has a really strong belief in a couple of things. One, the way we prepare tends to work very well. It's exhaustive and uh, interesting and makes the game fun to play. So they're willing to spend Tuesday through Friday preparing that way because they really the results. They get, I believe, Meg, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think the team would definitely be itchy, edgy if we ever said, hey, you know what? Let's not bother doing defensive corner film Wednesday morning this week, will be fine. They would never, they would certainly go and do it on their own if they ever heard some odd statement like that from me. It would never happen. But so in, in terms of preparation, I'd say a couple of things. It's thorough. It's interesting. It leads to a really fun game where they can simply focus on their physical output, their execution, you know, the black and white nature of knowing what you're after and when that's not what you're producing out on the field, then you keep figuring out what do you need to change to make that happen, but you're not wondering why the opponent's doing this instead of that. You've prepared for all of those eventualities, all of those possibilities, and uh, you're reading the game as it unfolds and you're applying the part of the game plan that is your response to that, to what you're seeing. I will say that everyone on the team understands that that level of preparation, again, allows you to say, hey, what? You know, if there's any team out there that can beat us with this level of preparation, then hey, hats off to that team, they'll make us better, and we'll get back at it the next day. Meg, I don't know if you want to respond to that, but that's at least the way I see it. They certainly earn every point, (laughs) every possession, every W that comes. It's not because we're just way more talented than everyone else, not even close. I mean, and the field hockey is a tough game anyway. It really, I do believe it's the result of not just how much preparation, but the type of preparation. And the mindset that it's only
2: going to play. So as coach was saying, I mean, we spend, we have morning meetings for the defensive penalty corners and then the offensive penalty corners and then all team scout as well to prepare for game day. And that's, I, I, it's possible because the school allows us to have that time. For example, We can't have classes after 4.30, I think, which is, so labs, especially labs and later classes have to end at 4.30 because of sports. So sports are built into the schedule, which is why part of the reason why I chose D3. And with the amount of work that you have, we're on the bus a lot, especially when we have to go to Maine or Boston. But a lot of us are doing work and a lot of us wake up early in the hotel or after a meeting, we'll get an extra work, homework when they can. There's always a group that's doing their work for school. So that doesn't get lost. And coach always says that academics are very, very important to our team. They're part of the Middlebury experience and being a college athlete. And it makes it, as you were saying, with the amount of preparation I would lie if I said it was easy to do that on top of schoolwork. I'm a neuroscience major, so I have labs all the time, but everyone else is doing it too. So if we get out of a lab at 4.15, there's always a car of field hockey girls driving down to practice to get to the training room and get taped up before, but we still make it maybe five minutes late, but we're, we're still there. We get to balance both, which is great. And of course, you have seniors who you can look up to and ask questions, juniors, upperclassmen who have been there for a while to help you balance that. So, yeah, I mean, there is a lot of preparation, but you are able to do that with the difficult schoolwork that Middlebury will throw towards you.
3: Yeah, and I'll jump in really quickly and add that part of the really special relationship that that's built that allows people to feel open and really comfortable doing what they need to do the way they need to do it is just the trust that from the coaches up to the seniors, everybody understands and trusts that we mean it when we say you've got to make choices in that work best for you regarding, your academic flow, your academic progress. For example, for, you know, every every Wednesday morning, sometimes it's Thursday, but every Wednesday or Thursday morning for our film prep at 7 a.m. with bagels and coffee, you know, it's sort of a favorite thing to do, but everyone knows that you shouldn't be there if it's going to set you back academically for something you have that day. And uh, so somebody has an exam and they don't even need to tell me ahead of time. I've complete trust that everybody who should be in the room is in the room and that they're so together and on the same page and are so vested in it that they just pick and choose and out loud most of the time saying, Hey, yeah, Erin's got an exam at 10 AM. So she's going to study. I'm going to brief her after the meeting. Done. And when you have that level of commitment to both things, there's such a level of trust and comfort and feeling of support that everybody's willing to do everything because they know the kin will
0: that's gonna work best for them. So coach, you talk about you talk about trust. And I, I want to hear, again, I want to hear from both of you because I, I like, I, just like you guys do, I like the, you know, the juxtaposition of perspectives, if you will. But you talk about that trust. How do you guys as a team build that trust up to a point where, you know, if someone's not, like you said, when somebody's not in the room, you, you're, everyone knows that they're not in the room because it's best for them and because it's best for the team. How do you, how do you build that trust?
3: You you build that trust by being consistent in your care and attention to each human being. You don't build the trust by being consistent with your game plan first. You build it by showing a sincere doing and living their life. How good do they feel about their life (laughs) and their time spent with you and the way you make maximize how people feel about their time spent in your program is a training environment away from the people who are playing most of the game minutes. Put most of the pressure on the people who aren't playing in the game most by saying, you know, I'm sorry, but you've got to make it harder for her to outlet the ball. You've got to run her down or you you can't allow her to succeed so easily because it won't be that easy for her in the game and then they understand they see the results of their work and uh, so that's how you build trust that every single minute you spend together is worth everyone's while
0: I just want to know how does it feel like to be in that environment just as a player and as a student and as a person because as coach you talked about that is important
2: yeah I mean Being on this team, there are three things that come to mind, two phrases that we talk about at Middlebury field hockey is be where your feet are. So when you're with your teammates, you give them all you have, whether that's on the field or just having dinner with them. And that also is a big part of building trust on our team too. And then the other one, the other phrase that comes to mind as well is the best compliment you can give your teammate is to expect results. So that would be just always pushing your teammates harder, expecting them to give their best. And that's also what builds the trust in my opinion, going off of what coach said. But then being on this team with that environment is just it's it's more than just being a college athlete. It it translates to off the field in real and in real life. We constantly learn lessons on the team that that are applied beyond field hockey and beyond our college athletic career for example just it's just knowing that your contribution although it may not be the traditional like playing time that a lot of people think it is it everyone contributes in their own way and it's all very important and you have to whether you're reminding a teammate of that or I guess just yeah I'm not really sure if I'm explaining this right but it's, I'm very lucky to be a part of an environment where we focus on all of those aspects that coach just, just talked about.
1: Do you guys feel pressure from the school, the alumni, yourselves to to keep this up? Is, is this catch lightning in a bottle with this group? Or, or is, is there something else here that's, that pushes you? Or, or is this just driven from, from coach down to the, to the team?
3: I mean, I, I don't. I, you know, I I grew up in a family where if you had the ability to something and you were going to commit any time to doing it, you should do it as well as you can do it. And I think that's all we're doing is, you know, loving each other up and going in a straight line and doing things, being inventive, being creative, being all in and doing things just as well as we can do. And if that happens to be that you can win a championship doing that, and great. If it doesn't, I'm totally fine with it too. And like Meg said, you know, we don't, we will never, ever be a championship and talk about winning a championship or even winning a game. We talk about playing the game. And when you do that well, at the end of the game, so often you win it. <laughs> but we just don't, you know, part of it and you talk about, end result. I mean, I, I, I've been coaching for a long time and there are many, many years before four national championships out of that we didn't win the last game. I've always been proud of how we've done it. So it's taken me a long time to understand how, how to whittle it down to the things that do actually have the greatest impact on the highest quality performance and the greatest amount of love I tried a lot of things over the years I think this is as much a result of again the people involved are so incredible but also you know me being I'm not old but I'm older. You know, I'm 52 years old, so I've been doing this for a long time, day after day after day. And it's even, it's more enjoyable to me now than it ever has been because I trust my own process even more than I did, especially when I was a young coach. I had no idea what I was doing. And you learn by doing. You know, those poor souls were my players when I was 23, 24, 25 years old and had to drive the van and, you know, all that I was learning as I, as I went, I've had some great mentors, um, but it's probably focused focus on the game to the very, very best of your ability and you love each other. You know, there's just few things that can go wrong.
2: Yeah. And I, I would add to that really highlight that we do it for each other. We put everything we have on the field for each other. We are competitive for each other and I it's, that question kind of caught me by surprise because I've never felt pressure from outside of our team, just because I play my best because I want to play my best for the team. I want to be competitive for the team. I want to be my strongest for the team. When I'm training that goes through my mind, even if I'm just going to lift like tomorrow. I mean, that's what I'm going to be thinking about. Like I want to be the strongest for my team. I will be ready for the spring season for the fall So, yeah, I mean, I've never really thought of that because I don't feel it and I don't think anyone else on the team feels external pressure either.
3: One of the other things that, and I'll add this because I observe a lot of other coaches as well, just different coaching styles. And one thing that probably lends well to what Meg was just describing, sort of a no fear, we're all in this together type. I think that's what you were describing, Meg. You know, I have always, I'm the youngest of seven kids too, so I, I, I've never um, had the experience where I didn't feel I was just wanting to be, you know, one of the group. And I think that's why, you know, I feel that my hand is in every failure, you know, the failures and the losses as being something that is largely my doing more so than the team walking away feeling as though I had they had done things differently so, Meg, I don't know if you want to speak to that, but I, I, that's a pretty intentional and inescapable disposition that I've always carried with me, and I think it's the right one. Maybe I think it's more the truth than any other type of response to, to failure or losing, you know? I have a strong military background, so, you know, whoever's the captain of the ship, something goes wrong, it's, it's his fault or her fault, you know? And... I just so enjoy unpacking things and putting them back together anyway. So I don't mind that responsibility at all. Really enjoy it.
0: You There are there's so many great sound bites. You can put a lot of what you're saying on a, on a t-shirt or put it on a quote wall. That's all wonderful stuff. Absolutely awesome. Mr. Smith, I didn't know if you wanted to talk about the team's uh, commitment to service.
1: I do the experience that I had sort of on the receiving end of the amazing generosity and greatness of the Middlebury field hockey team off off field. And Meg has a really strong relationship with uh, my daughter, Avery, who, who was diagnosed with leukemia. They invited our family up and had th- this amazing pregame ceremony, had Avery out on the field. But you know what, it wasn't just about Avery. They had another student at Middlebury who had fought cancer and they had a younger brother of one of the, of, of Meg's teammates who was simultaneously battling leukemia th- the same time Avery was. And the, the, the experience that the kids had getting to run out onto the field with the team and, and the awareness that was built that day, like we, we got to experience the the true force what I think is even more powerful than trophies and rings and, and championships is, the true force of the Middlebury field hockey team is just their, their very obvious dedication to giving back and other, putting other people first. And I, I think there's a secret in that, in, in, in getting to wins and building the trust and, and getting to the love and the being there for one another that we heard about within the team. But when you make things uh, not about yourself and you put others before you, you, you start to perform better in, in all areas of life. And I think that's a very big lesson, this why sports exist. It, it's not, it's nice to win things, but this is why we actually are in business is, is for these lessons learned. But it, it's, it also feels very deliberate and part of the team culture. And maybe you guys can talk about about that.
3: Well, Chris, I'll, I'll tell you that those same tears that might well up in your eyes when you talk about that. Meg, if you remember back to the creation of the Unite in the Flight, theme, the day, and the logo, the time we spent on that in the conference room, and you all presenting that plan, that idea to me for the first time, and how both of you and Marissa were just brought to tears, you expressed the meaning behind it. And Chris, I think you you hit the nail on the head when you simply state that Middlebury Field Hockey. We just strive to make it an example of why sport is supported by our institution. It's not so that we can have more money spent on something or to put sport on a pedestal. It's so that we can expedite the experiences that life throws at us. We can we can practice getting to know people, we can, uh, use our relationships as a group to support other things. And, uh, you know, expediting the experiences one encounters in life is what sports does for us. And at the same time, it sort of feeds our soul because it allows us to run around, be physical, and also learn some skills. Get to know ourselves better with when our buttons are pushed or when our physical challenges are seemingly too great. But that's really our reason for being is to give people who gain so much from being physical the opportunity to build relationships, put themselves to good use over and over and over and over again. Just in a week's time, I think we have the life experiences that it might take someone not playing sport, you know, two years, three years to experience, you know. Your teammates know you, you know, as a naked soul. You know, you can't hide from your teammates is what I always say. And uh, nor should you want to. So I just think it's a wonderful, wonderful venture wonderful example of how we can spend our time well. And it's so different than our academic work that it feeds the energy that we need when we go back across the street to sit at a desk and think just with our minds.
2: We recognize that we're very lucky to have our health, to be at Middlebury, to have each other be loved by each other, that we love to share that, and we love to help others using that. So that's what I would add on to what the Coach said. I mean, it's just all... We we try to do community service wherever we go. We did at the final four, there's community service that we do in Ireland when we did a training trip there and then locally in Middlebury as well. It's it's a part of us and we just love to share the love that we have and the resources for people that are less fortunate than, than we are.
1: Uh, can you tell me about the service trip to India?
2: Yeah. The
3: India Project is actually a project that I began with the U.S. State Department two years ago, well, actually all the way back in 2018, and it's it's not a team trip every year. It's actually an academic, partially an academic program through our Dean of Students Office for Female Empowerment in Patriarchal Societies, but the main part of it and the impetus behind the original trip to India, which still, I just got off of a conference call with the U.S. Consulate in Calcutta and the State Department two days ago for round three of the East India Hockey Project. And that's actually a anti-human trafficking program in East India, which is a region of India with the highest concentration of indigenous people. And along with that, the highest percentage of the demographic 13 to 17-year-old girls are trapped. So we're, we go to run a hockey program. Hockey is a national sport in India. So our plan to identify those girls within those tribes who have the highest social capital and the highest level of athletic ability and inclination. And we bring them, we have a lot of classroom work with interpreters and seven days of, of hockey training on their first touch of an astroturf field. And when that all comes together, they've learned some English. They've been able to sort of tell their story a bit, join together and get to know each other through hockey, but see themselves the way we see them, not the way the traffickers see them and not the way girl children, unfortunately, are unseen in in their world. So that's the the hockey project in India. We took seven of our current players this past January uh, into February, and we preceded it with a three-week female empowerment Female Leadership and patriarchal for Society's academic course. And uh, we'll continue that work virtually with with the tribal girls in East India. And we probably will return for the academic course in 2021, January, as long as health the health climate allows.
0: That's extremely impressive. Do, do you guys do a lot of work with female empowerment as a team?
3: We are female empowerment. <laughs>
0: Right. That's, that's true. <laughs> I phrased that the wrong way. Did your community outreach often center around that, both in India yes. or even in the, in the local community?
3: But I would say no, I don't think so. I, I think most of our participation in the community outreach is through programs that already exist in Middlebury, like school mentoring, reading, meal preparation. Meg, you want to speak to that?
2: Yeah, we spend a lot of time all over the place. We don't really focus on on one area of community service. We, yeah, meal prep, mentorship. A bunch of our a bunch of our players go to the local school and have a little buddy there that they hang out with and, and mentor. I think once or twice a week, maybe. Um, yeah, and then we've done our awareness game, which is the team used to do a breast cancer awareness game in October or September but we decided as coach was saying that we wanted to bring awareness to all different diseases and disorders that affect our team and beyond so not just specifying breast cancer but focusing on leukemia and inviting our little friends like Avery and my teammates brother cancer survivors on campus and then we also put ribbons up for for diabetes, PTSD, a bunch of a bunch of different things. So to answer your question, no, we don't focus on female empowerment with our community service. We we are pretty spread out everywhere.
1: No, you mentioned the involvement you have and, and it it wasn't just invite us up to the the <laughs> game. Meg came to the hospital with teammates for Avery's treatments. The, the Zoom calls, the ribbons on the shoes, Avery was actually in the hospital during one of the national championship games and got to watch it. And, and so it, it wasn't just a one-off thing. It was a long-term type involvement. And I think that meaningful service and the service learning is how service should be done. It, sh- it can't just be a one-off thing. And so a little surprise for you. Someone has joined us in the studio. So hold on. Come on over here, talk. Hi.
2: Oh, Hi, Avery. Sounds so weird.
1: <laughs> yeah. You can talk.
2: Hi. I don't know what to talk about.
1: We were just talking about the, the trip up to Middlebury. That's it? Yeah. You want to say, you want to talk about what it was like to, to go up to the game?
0: Which game? I went to
2: like seven. <laughs> well, you went to a couple, yeah. The,
1: the Middlebury field hockey games. What was that like to run out in the field? Did it, it make you feel though. good, though?
2: Yeah, a little Do bit. Do you remember it, Avery? A Do little remember
3: bit. It? Do you remember Parker? Yes. Meeting him? <laughs> yeah. Well, we we were so proud of you and so happy to add you to our team. And I more recently received a picture from Meg of you wearing your Middlebury field hockey jacket.
2: Yes. I was wearing that recently.
3: Yes. I digged it out of my great, closet.
2: It was mm-hmm. like ten sizes too big, but yeah.
3: <laughs> we don't have anybody as small as you on our team right now, so. True. Well, we're so happy for you.
1: Thank you for joining. Mm-hmm. Say bye.
3: Bye. Mm-hmm. Actually, I won't be <laughs> bye, Avery.
1: There's, there's an an aspect of field hockey. I'm a little naive to the sport. I went to Hobart and William Smith. I was there when probably your Skidmore days when when the William Smith team won a national title. And so I got I got to watch my fair share of, of good field hockey. I've been to a ton of the St. Paul's games and, and obviously a lot of Middlebury field hockey games have become a fan all of a sudden. I'm a squash coach. I think they're both very sort of niche sports. And one of the things that I've been trying to get involved more and more with over the years and, and especially most more recently as an admission officer here, as well as a squash coach is, is trying to help diversify the sport and bring more people from different backgrounds into the sport. Is, is there a a diversity problem with field hockey or, or is there, are there initiatives at work trying to bring the sport to more people?
3: Yeah. Great and timely question, Chris. Had you asked me that question a year ago, I wouldn't have had as robust uh, an answer for you, but I'm proud to say that there's a lot going on, both in terms of organizations having formed over the past year, initiatives receiving top interest from you know, all 400 programs across the country in terms of making the sport not just more accessible than it ever has been to anyone and everyone, but as accessible as it needs to be so that anyone can play field hockey and can get coaching, you know, a very small step that we've just taken is to change the construct of our own recruiting to make. And Meg, I think I sent you this brief announcement the other day that all of our recruiting everything's virtual right now but that's not the way it will stay we hope but all of our recruiting clinics and webinars seminars that we're doing are at no cost on a donation basis that's the only money that will be collected and that 50 of that will go to the Grow the Greatest Game initiative, which is to provide for and send individuals to who want to access the sport, give them equipment, give them coaching that's proximate to their home. So there, there's a lot going on right now, the formation of the Black Field Hockey Network. I'm on the educational board of, of that organization. This has all emerged quickly. It's pretty vibrant. Group, we've just reestablished. We had a bylaws committee working for about eight straight months on in the National Field Hockey Coaches Association. Uh, we've just approved, or just finished the comment period on our new bylaws, and we now have the a chosen, selected representative from the Black Field Hockey Network now sits on our executive board of the National Field Hockey Coaches Association. And that's you know you're getting you're getting this kind of information hot off the press. You know, so within the last two months. Most of what I've just described to you has cemented itself into the field hockey culture only until last year, about 1% of the coaches in divisions one, two, and three are black. And I believe it's only about 1.5 or 2% of the athletes playing in college are black and it's a little bit higher for athletes of color, a little bit higher for athletes. For uh, are uh, coaches of color, but for the most part, the percentages are ex- extremely low and we're working in as many areas as we can to, to change that.
1: What Ryan and I talked about coming into this was that there's more to Middlebury field hockey than three straight national titles. And it, I think there's a lot of lessons learned in, in this conversation for students, student athletes, for for coaches. Whoever is listening, there's, there's a lot here and and a lot to take away. Do do you guys have any sort of last comments, anything you want to pass on to them? Any last words of wisdom?
2: I was, I mean, I was on a recruiting panel the other day um, and. My one piece of advice for if you're interested in college sports is don't give up and just keep, keep looking, keep trying. I know it's very hard these days, especially with COVID, but. There's there's a place for everyone and if someone tells you that you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, just ignore them, keep going. Someone told me that at one point and I'm now on an incredible team where I would there's nowhere else I would rather be. Middlebury field hockey has changed my life and I if I don't know. I mean, don't listen to people that, that tell you that you're not good enough because good things will happen if you keep working hard.
3: I'll follow right. I think that's incredible advice. Keep looking until you find someone who wants to get to know you, wants to pay attention to you. No matter what talent you know you have to offer, coaches that you're talking to only know what they know. Teach them about you. Teach them about yourself. And uh, go where you're known and where you're wanted.
0: I think that's awesome advice to end on. And that's coming not from a, guy who's sitting here as an interviewer but as a student in high school um hearing not only that but all the stuff you guys said and as a junior looking to go to college in a few years really awesome stuff to end on so thank you guys for being here with us and thank you for all the the words of wisdom it's it's greatly appreciated
3: absolutely and ryan good luck to you
0: (laughs) thank you thank you
3: the best is yet to come
0: and I'm looking to yeah. go somewhere where I am wanted. So I, I will heed <laughs> those those words of advice. That's, yeah. It's awesome. Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. There's a wonderful book, David and Goliath, by Malcolm Gladwell, that talks a lot about how what do you need to feel that way. And it's a really good book. And there's a chapter in there on sort of the the incredible science student, Les Meg, who one goes to Hartwick and is, in, uh, is a big fish in a small pond, highly celebrated, supported. The other goes to Harvard, same, same attributes, but switches to econ because feels like she can't. Never goes to med school. Never goes. So it's you know, go where you're seen and go where you're wanted. Doesn't mean that's any one type of place, but I think it's for various people that can happen anywhere.
0: I'm at the very beginning of 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 just life really, but I think that those are really good words to, you know, evaluate where you, where you are and how a place makes you feel. And it seems like you guys have built a place where people want to be there. And that's awesome. Um, It's really great that you guys are uh, talking about it with us because some of my friends who don't understand the difference between a place where you, you know, you want to be and people want you and
1: where that doesn't. Nothing better. Right, exactly. It's better. It's nice to be wanted. I'd say if,
3: if I had one talent that I would want revealed by any conversation like that, like this, my one talent, my one claim to fame that has been revealed even to me has been identifying good people to bring into Middlebury field hockey. I've developed a lot of other skills, but I'd say my one. Sort of God-given talent has been the ability to see what people have to offer and get good people
0: on this team. Um, At the end of the day, it's a team. Teams are groups of people, so I think you talked about that both of you in the beginning of the interview a lot. But it's something that I think about, you know, living in a place like St. Pauls, where we have a community, is that it's it's about people, and I think you guys speak to that so much.
3: Saying Missy Meg.
2: You too. We have guys, our meeting no, soon.
3: I haven't seen Meg in a year. <laughs> yeah. How crazy is that? I don't feel like That's I haven't crazy. seen her in a year, but I realized. realized.
0: that. All right, that was Catherine DiLorenzo and Meg Fury of Middlebury Field Hockey. A lot to really unpack there. There's almost so much that we can't unpack. We had a guest cameo by Avery. You know, we talked about Sorry a lot of what that. we'd like to talk about. <laughs> No, that was that was the highlight of the whole thing, you know, culture, service, accomplishment, great stuff.
1: Yeah, There's a reason why sports in college from D1 to D3 exist and some sports and we see those on TV are revenue generating and other sports aren't, but I believe, especially at the D3 level and a lot of the D1 teams that, that are non-revenue, There are other reasons why athletic departments put so much money into them. It's because of the lessons learned. It's because of the experiences for the student athletes. It's about so much more than just, than winning. Along the way, sure, it's great. Some teams are gonna win and that's part of it. But I think Harvard has the largest athletic department in the country and there's a reason for that. Middlebury has a huge athletic department and there's a reason for it. And it's not about TV contracts. It's about the experiences of the of the student athletes. It's about what those values taught on and off the field mean to the value of the education. And everything we talked about today is is a byproduct of that experience. Those student athletes have made difference in people's lives while their lives are being impacted as well.
0: Yeah. It's and, and I love at the end to talk about people. I know I, I brought that up, but I thought that was, you know, talking about how important people are to them. And, and like you said, it's not money. It's not winning. It is the people that, you know, make the job fun, the sport fun, whatever sport it may be. And it's the people that make this podcast fun. And uh, again, two wonderful people to have. guests. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in today to the Murphy and Smith Sports Guests.